Welcome to today's episode with Sammy Taggett, aka DJ Shoebox Moses. Sammy is a world-renowned DJ, musician, performer, and philanthropist, and an all-around amazing human being who I'm lucky enough to call a friend and neighbor. Sammy's story is straight up out of a movie, as you will hear today. From his humble beginnings as an orphan in the Philippines to performing at some of the biggest events in the world, including Sir Richard Branson's Island on multiple occasions, Mind Valley's A-Fest, Google, Nike, and so many others. There's so much else I could say, but I just want to get right into today's interview. So without further ado, here is the episode with the one, the only, Sammy Taggett, a.k.a. DJ Shoebox Moses. So you you know the secret about six breaths too? Yeah, I did. I you try to do that even before a show because it recalibrates and resets your central nervous system a bit. Mm-hmm. And for me, right before a show, I am most of the time I'm super excited, and every time I'm nervous. Yes, you know I'm I'm thinking four or five songs ahead, and I want to make sure that the audience is still moving and engaged. And a lot of times there's a lot of hustle and bustle around me in the events I do. So if I don't get those six breaths in, then I tend to come out of the gates like a horse running like a zigzag race. Yeah, And it drives me crazy. So I love to center before I can do any of my shows. But yeah, that six breaths is really big. Do you ever do the thing where you Inhale for six, hold for four, exhale for eight. Two. Uh-huh. That's, yeah. um. well, I do four, seven, eight, which is Dr. Andrew Wiles' breath. Okay. Same, cool. same, but different. Same thing. Yeah, yeah same I guess different. there's so many, uh, I like, we were just talking before. I had Sam Skelly on the show last, or like two weeks ago. Yeah, she's and she knows all, breathing. master breath work. She knows all these different, it's so crazy. There's so many different types of breaths. You know, whether you want to like blast off on like a psychedelic experience through your own breath, like holotropic, <laughs> or just like four, seven, eight to calm the nervous. Yeah. Or just old school six six deep breaths. You oh know? yeah, the old school. Just let's go. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I did a, a Wim Hof um, trip with him. In, really? Well, it, he came to Jamaica, but we did three days together where he was just guiding us through no his Wim Hof way. process. That dude is a certifiable genius and a maniac, maniac <laughs> genius, right? And we did the ice bath, and when we were gonna do it. We thought we were going to do it in the pool, and we're like, there's no way that pool is going to be cold enough for an ice bath. And you walk around the corner, and we're at this little spot in Jamaica. We walk around the corner, and there is like a hot tub, you know, the size of twice the size of this table, filled with ice. Just ice and water. Not your tropical Jamaican paradise you're thinking about. Yeah, and I remember looking at this, and instantly got complete anxiety around it. I was like, there's no way I can do that. And breath work was what we did. You know, we got in there and we just focused on our breath. And we're like, and he was singing, who let the dogs out? And you're like, I can just imagine Wim's crazy voice yelling that. Who let the dogs out? In, out, in, out. Yeah, he was, yeah, he was amazing. He's a character. He is a total character. And what's interesting about him is, and, and I've been seeing this trend in like politics and like, you know, it was just MLK Day the other day. Yeah. A lot of these people are first like uh, frowned upon. Like Wim, people thought he was just a, a total nut before he was kind of accepted into the mainstream. Oh, yeah. The Iceman? Before yeah. he hit that that Vice episode, I think people thought he was crazy. That was the first mm-hmm. like mainstream, wow, he's being studied by science. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then he was he was proving science wrong in so many things, which is what I love about what you talk about and what we get to talk about is mm-hmm. that science and the ethereal realm and manifestation and breath work, all these things are starting to be backed by science. Mm-hmm. Like one of our, you know, one of our favorite people, Stephen Kotler, when he wrote Stealing Fire and The Rise of Superman and those things, I was like, are you kidding? Like these are starting to be studied. This was, is a verifiable thing. I felt the same way because I'm like, Stealing Fire felt like my Bible, you know? It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, this right? is a book that speaks to like what I'm pursuing in this lifetime. And it also, you know, I think it also sold both of us on the fact that surfing is absolutely the life you have yes, to live. Which we're going to dive into <laughs> later. But first, your name, DJ Shoebox Moses. I love it. And I think this is a perfect segue like into your story. 
the first time I heard you, I guess before I asked the question, I just got to share this with everyone. Like the first time I met you and kind of knew, didn't know who you were, it was around, I think it was April or May. Okay. Um, I was in still a pretty dark place with Lyme, but still just starting to come out. And where we live in Encinitas, our friends have this house overlooking Beacons Beach. And you were, you were DJing up there. And I had started getting into electronic music and had this kind of desire to start DJing and mixing myself. And dude, I just see you up there. And like, I've, you know, I, I pay attention to not just the person, it's not just the music, but the energy of the person who's creating the vibe, which is the DJ. And you have this aura about you, which, you know, we'll, we'll dive into more. But first, <laughs> just want to say you captivated me initially. I'm like, who is that guy? Because he's setting a vibe that the entire neighborhood was feeling. Yeah. It's not just the music, it's the energy you bring. And so, yeah, I'd love to know first, like how, c- tell us the story behind DJ Shoebox Moses. Well... Well, thank you for that. And I remember that day when we were playing because it was a neighborhood time because everyone was really needing some mm-hmm. unification around everything that was falling apart in our country, seemingly. And this area, Encinitas and, and Beacons and, and this whole area is a total bubble, but they were still feeling it. And I remember sending that music out and just like watching the sun go down and people cheering the sun going down and joining them. And one of my favorite songs, which is uh, A Wonderful World by Louis Armstrong. And yeah, that's that's the frequency that you can do when you, you can amplify through music. But yes, I think one of the things that helped me become so adamant about frequency and sending out frequency is when I learned about who Shoebox Moses is. And Shoebox Moses is my performance name, but it was a name that was given to me as I went on my pilgrimage to find my roots for the first time. And I think that finding your roots is actually just an ever, ever growing or an ever expansive journey that you'll always take. Like as soon as I feel like I I know this much about me, I learn a little bit more about who I'm becoming because of the stuff that's happened. And so Shoebox Moses was kind of given to me through this experience. And I'm an adopted Filipino, as as you may or may not know. And I was adopted out of the Philippines in the 70s. I'm a little bit older than people think. And got the youthful spirit still. The youthful spirit, <laughs> I'm telling you. It and it comes from the ocean, I'm pretty sure. But uh what happened is on this journey. I had this yearning to go back and find my orphanage and I've always had this and it was always, it seemed like such a far distant thing to do. And I had an opportunity with some friends and it was really cool. We were, it was right after Typhoon Haiyan had hit. Mm -hmm. And so we had this idea as my friend Jason, he had this idea of going back and taking water filters to the Philippines for the folks that just didn't have clean water. And so he asked me, if we were to do that, what would you do to sell people on this idea? And you know, you're in marketing. One of the best ways to get people behind you and rally behind you is to have a good story about what we're doing. And so I thought about it for a second and I go, you know what I would do? This is be my story. If I wanted to get people rallied behind us going, I would tell them that, hey, uh, this is Sammy. We're going back to the Philippines to take water filters to the folks of t- uh, the victims of Typhoon Haiyan. And in that process, we're going to also look for my orphanage. We'd love for you guys to come along. And it was him and my friend Derek. And he they just looked at me like I was crazy. And they're like, is that a story or what is that? And I was like, well, that's my story. Mm. And it was so great, too. There was a friend of mine, Brandy, who I found out later, who's also adopted from the same orphanage. The same one. The same one in Denver. And we'd been friends, uh, really good friends for almost a decade. And we just found out that we were from the same orphanage. So we That's did that. insane because I, I think I read a statistic. There's like 1.8 million orphans yeah. in the Philippines. In the Philippines. And there's got to be a lot of orphanages, I would assume. Tons tons that is so you both ended up in denver both ended up in denver both adopted filipinos and and she's a bubbly musician just exuberant hilarious and just a bright you guys are cut from the same cloth literally literally literally, like we're 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 like two handballs when we get together so she came with us Mm -hmm. and in in the span of like six weeks i think we raised 20 grand and bought 100 different water filters so we were on our way just like that and so it was great is as we were figuring out all of this. Um, we're sharing our story. We're sharing our story. Brandy and I, when we started the process, didn't even know we were from the same orphanage. 
And so oh, we're, interesting. yeah, so we're going through uh, the process to raise money for the water filters and share about what we're going to do. And, and Brandy's like, I'm going to find my orphanage. And I was telling everyone I'm going to find my orphanage. And so we found it. I found my orphanage through some of the paperwork that I had. And I also used Facebook to trace the roots of my foster family that took care of me. Mm-hmm. And then they gave me some background on like what the orphanage is like, where it was located exactly, things like that. And Facebook and and following these breadcrumbs through a letter that I had and some some different types of stuff really led me through what I was about to find. And so as I was going through this and Brandy was going through the same process, um, we found the address to the RSCC, which is the orphanage that we're out of, it's in Quezon. And I was like, Brandy, you keep when we tell people we're going to go to our orphanage, you keep giving them my address. And I was like, you got to give them the address to yours. And she's like, that is the address to mine. And so it just like hit us. You just realized, wait a second. Yeah, <laughs> we flipped. You we thought flopped. you were each sending the uh, the, uh, the wrong person. Like, oh, you're sending mine. You mean to be sending Yeah, because we're mapping out like, okay, we're going to get to Manila. Then we're going to go to Quezon. Then we're going to go to mine first. And then years. And then we're going to go to high end and, and work on. And if we were just like, Wait a minute. That's wild. How are we from the same place? No way. And so that was just like one drop of, of serendipitous events that happened on that. So when we get to the Philippines and everything is is happening and, and it's so crazy how small the world gets the older you get, right? And this thing was a faraway journey for me for, for such a long time. I was like, there's no way I'll be able to find this place. And we found it. And then before we know it... Uh, we are at the footsteps of this orphanage. And I just remember walking in and you can see the orphanage is still laid out the way that it was in the pictures that my parents had, which were just old pictures that the foster family sent and the agency had sent. So you can't really tell the grounds or anything until you get there. And it's just like a, it was like a movie, right? So just picture you're walking in and you can, it's, it's, musty it's it's kind of humid it's right in downtown and i don't notice any anything else except the the cribs the cribs are the same cribs that were there when i was there wow and i just remember seeing all these kids wrestling around and doing their thing and i'm like wow did it bring back memories for you how old were you when you got adopted? i was one so it didn't bring back too many memories from that mm-hmm. space but what it really did do was it really opened up this deep 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 level of appreciation to see that they were there and that I missed this that window of being there mm-hmm. as opposed to being right here with you. Yeah. Um, by so much. So my the my heart was just softened a bit. And so as I'm kind of walking through and I tell them my name actually was Joselito Ramirez before wow. it was Samuel Taggett, which is really funny to me. And a funny story how my parents shared all that information with us. But one of the things my mom had told me before I left, because I was like, Mom, we might find my biological mother. And she, you know, she shared with me before I left. She's like, well, if you do, you need to be very careful because in the paperwork that you haven't looked through yet, um, it's going to share some of the really delicate starts of your journey and what they have. And you might want to verify that is that you were left in a dumpster in a shoebox. And so I hadn't even really looked at that. And I remember before I left, that was just like a, it was such a huge bomb drop on me that I didn't even think about it. I was like, okay, I'll check into that mom until I got there. And I was looking around and I was talking to the folks that ran that orphanage and I was sharing what uh, I had in my paperwork, and they were like, "Oh yeah, you're one of our shoebox babies for sure." Wow, is that that's a common thing? It's a very common in a lot of countries. Like wow. they will just leave ba- babies and abandon babies. And how did you, when you did kind of feel into it, what what did that feel like for you? Well, imagine if you see your life as an observer, kind of in that Eckhart Tolle way, right? One of the things that happened for me is it was like it snapped my life out of me. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, I just saw such a farther view of how far I'd come. All the journeys and all the, the connections, and all the pathways and all the stuff that had to happen for me to actually survive the first few hours of my life, for me to be placed in an orphanage and for me to find my way into performance and music and like the deep 
ties with my family. And uh, I had a friend ask me one time um, what what that felt like. And I think one of the things that really hit me the hardest was um, my connection to my mom. Because my mom's very spiritual. She's a beautiful... When you say biological or my fa- adopted my, mom? My adopted mom. Gotcha. Marty. Love you, mom. Um, <laughs> shout out to Marty. Shout out to Marty. She... For all, she adopted three. My my mom and my dad adopted three kids: two from Korea and one from the Philippines, which is me. And she always tells us how much she would just pray for us, and she would pray for us before we were born, and she'd pray for us through everything, and she would just send out that beautiful ray of just divine faith that she was going to have a child. Mm-hmm. And when I look back at where I started, which was in that you know, in that really dark, dangerous place. And the thing that helped me find, there was two police officers apparently that had found me and heard me crying and they found me in this box. And I believe that my mom's faith, and I don't know if you believe in this stuff, but I believe my mom's faith was like this golden thread that was tied to me that pulled me through, that was going to lead me to her eventually Mm. and my family. And so that was what was really interesting. That was one of the the hits that I had as I was like snapped out of my, my current reality, just looking. And it was like, I saw myself walking with my friends going through the orphanage and I was like numb to this whole, I mean, I was just so in shock with how much was going on. And I remember it just like kind of floated up in that way. Like if you were to look at Google Earth, <laughs> and I just remember like zooming out, zooming out, zooming out. And I was like, you've done this. And I just saw those threads of the people that I impacted, all the the, the friends and the family and the things that I had done. And, and then there was a deep sense of regret and resentment towards some of the things and the choices that I had made in my life and how I'd lived. Towards yourself. Yeah. So I felt like, oh my gosh, you were such such a, you know, blatant, you had such a blatant disregard to your opportunity. Like you were reckless. You were, you partied too much, this and that. So there's this huge wrestling of all the things uh, inside me. So Mm. there was, it was a lot of turmoil and it had, I had a lot of problems uh, upon returning from that trip and shook, and, shook, and things shook up. me. Yeah. So that's where I found out the roots. Now you come back to Denver. And how long ago was that? That was six years ago, okay. five and a half, six right. years ago. So now the name, where did that come from? So I get back and I'm just shell shocked by the whole situation. Everything was beautiful. We delivered water filters. We had a great time and we had an incredible impact on the folks we got to meet and it was just beautiful. But I get home and the next big trip I have and I'm sitting with my agency and my agent at the time, his name is Jake Bieber. And I'm kind of, <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of talking with him. And he's like, man, how do you feel? What's going on with everything? And I was like, dude, I was found in a shoebox. I just saw the whole situation. It was crazy. Wow. And he's like, well, what do you want to do with that? And I was like, I have no idea. I have no idea what I want to do with this whole story. I go, I do want to go back. I do want to go back. And I want to go work with those kids and figure out how I can get them homes or how I can get jobs in their hands. And he's like, well, you're going to go, you're going to go set them free like shoebox Moses, aren't you? And I was like, whoa. Wow. And so he, he started that little seed and I was like, that's crazy. And then the next big trip I leave to is to go to Necker Island with the Mavericks. Which uh, is Richard the Branson's Sir, Island. Sure, Richard Branson's Island. So I'm sitting there. And I'm, I'm a little off, you know, and I'm like, oh, man, I got to share this information with these guys. And I tell them, I was like, guys, I think that I have a way bigger mission, a way bigger calling than what I'm supposed to do just as a musician. And I shared it with them. And they're like, well, yeah, you've always been our shoebox, Moses. That's that makes perfect sense. And so they share that with me. And it just is at that time, I was like, that's a really beautiful story in the name of where I'm from. So it was like the two places, my friends and, and the Mavericks that really sealed the deal. And I came home and I just started switching up some small branding, which was kind of fun. What were you prior to Shoebox Just Moses? DJ Sammy. And can you give a brief primer to anyone who might not know or needs a reminder on what the significance is with Moses? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm Jewish, so I know the story. Yeah, but. yeah. So Moses was left in a basket uh, on the Nile, and he was found and adopted and later returned, uh, so so the prophecies say, and freed his people. Mm-hmm. And so in a way, I'm going back, and I want to make sure that I can 
step into some shoes to free free those kids mm-hmm. and to free them in ways that are are different. Like I'm not part in C's, but I am going to provide with what I can ways that they can and faculties that they can use to educate themselves, to become editors, to become musicians, to become DJs. And then we're also going to work to find them homes. So it's amazing. And I also see the parallel. You're freeing people through your music. Yeah. And I even think back to that first night, you know, COVID was in full effect. There was a lot of angst, uncertainty. People are losing loved ones and your music just totally I mean, I was going through a really hard time and like I, my little sister was with me. I don't know if you remember, I was dancing, uh, like pretty much solo, but I was just like getting down on the street and it gave me freedom from my pain. Like, I, you know, I'm someone who really resonates with music and it was the sunset. And so it's kind of cool to see how this name, it chose, it must, it chose you, you know, you didn't choose the name, the name chose you. And and you know, and that's great. I'm so glad that that was helping you too. Cause I know you've been through a ton and your journey, like a lot of people has been Mm -hmm. really challenging through, through this last year and, and X, you know, X like accelerated with the fact that you had to go through Lyme and all your other stuff. But, um, one thing that I noticed with shoebox Moses is that, younger generations a lot of the kids that i've worked with over the years they they all lean into that story with me mm-hmm. because they always ask how do you get through this stuff like all this pain that you've had yeah all the trauma that you've gone through and all the stuff that's been you know bubbling up uh for you like how did you let that go and it's been a great jumping off point for me to lean into the power of connection and opening the door wedging the door open between them wanting to listen and, and better themselves with, with music, mm-hmm. you know? So they're like, oh shit, yeah, he's a DJ, this is great. Yeah. So Shoebox Moses, um, and I talk about that person as a different person because it is a bit of a different persona mm-hmm. uh, in times that I get to step into. Mm-hmm. And it's really nice because as myself personally, from the background that I came from, from nightclubs, and I can tell you about how I became a DJ. I, yeah, I want to get into that story because yeah. the little bit you told me, I mean, just, just to hear, you started out, in a dumpster and then you just tell that story like oh i just like casually you just played a show for richard uh, at richard branson's private island i mean that's the dichotomy there i mean that's yeah. pretty rare it's a pretty from rare your circumstance thing. to get i think it's a pretty rare thing in general it's rare in general but let alone to c- come from an orphanage in a sh- like literally in a box in from the dumpster to Richard Branson <laughs> one of the world's most innovative wealthiest philanthropist entrepreneurs you yeah. know that's wild yeah totally and i think because of that journey it's it's really shown me that there's much more of a purpose for what i've been able to do than i've given myself credit for in the last few like decades right i've been performing for 20 years in music you Mm -hmm. know i love i've always played the guitar and i've always yes you love anyone doesn't follow sammy on instagram and this will all be linked in the show notes (laughs) your videos of you playing guitar just make my day like you're so just cheery and happy and you're amazing oh thanks yeah you rip on the guitar thank you i well and i'm we're gonna play a lot yes we're gonna start playing (laughs) we're gonna both rip on the guitar um but it's been a it's been a great unfolding i think the last three to four years has seen a huge acceleration in the exposure of who i am as a performer and a definite philanthropist and and working inside that uh space right now so i started a 501 a few years ago must be three years ago now called the foundlings Mm -hmm. and that foundlings organization is where we are able to set aside funds to work on all those projects and i'm partnering with amazing humans around the world. Marissa Pierce putting her courses in there with us. Wow. I'm taking all the marketing advice and all the things that I've learned from the amazing people that I've learned. And all those are going towards helping this orphanage uh, build out the infrastructure so that they can be found and seen and we can put kids in homes. So that's that's why we do everything we do. Wow. It's like you're, you know, I love the line, like your pain is your purpose. Like your mess becomes your message and like everything you've experienced in your life. And you've also like, which I want to dive into later, like you, it's kind of a rare niche you've put yourself into, which is like you're the performer and DJ and entertainer for some of the top entrepreneurs and movers and shakers in the world. So you're getting to leverage, like you said, Marissa Peer, who, if anyone doesn't know, she's a hypnotherapist, right? Yeah. Like 
arguably the top hypnotherapist oh, in the world. In the world. So I've she, listened yeah. to her interviews and I'm literally, my jaw drops because it's so profound how she explains it, her articulation, her experience. But you're getting to leverage all these people who you get to know and meet and provide entertainment for those teachings to the kids who are in the very position that you were. Yeah, exactly. And and the kids that were in my position too, the, a lot of those won't, won't be adopted, but it really mm -hmm. comes right down to even just the backyard that I'm in. Uh, there's more turmoil and just existential crazy shit going on yeah. for kids. Like kids are holed up in their homes all day right now. Mm -hmm. uh, so if there's more of a time ever, or there's never been a better time for kids to be able to lean on someone uh, or even a skill set such as playing music or even playing music out than it is than now mm -hmm. because it's such a it's such a weird space to grow up in. And I think every generation says that, but I think we can verifiably say this is this one is weird. of the weirdest <laughs> yeah. times to grow up. So I think um, the whole movement of what we're doing is literally setting people free through mm. music. I love that. Yeah. Absolutely. And I'd love for you to share the story because the first time you told me this was just mind blowing of you were, uh, you weren't even a, you were a bathroom attendant at a nightclub. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. So can you tell us like where you were, where, give us like a snapshot into your life at that point and what that moment was from going from bathroom attendant to DJ? Oh man. And it, that seems bad, uh, to be, but the circumstances leading up to that, Jake, were a hundred times worse. That got me put into that spot. So, and, and when you look back, your message, your message, this is one of those things that was so impactful to me that I didn't even notice this until people started asking me about when did you learn to be a DJ? And I remember connecting these dots. And the funny thing is, is that I didn't even remember how I had gotten there until I looked back over my journals over the last decade actually decade and a half and it started at this bathroom in alley cats in denver the club was called alley cats and it was a seedy nightclub really fun though mm -hmm. but it was above a strip club and it was the only job i could get because i had just moved back from denver and denver at that time was just hopping like it hadn't blown up uh with all the crazy traffic, but it was a huge hotbed for electronic music. Mm. And there was a ton of really good DJs at that time. There was a company called Beatport, which was the number one electronic music download site in the world. And it might still be one of the top ones, if not this top one. But at this time, it was ruling the world. So there was insane music, like killer music. And Beatport was based in Denver? And Beatport was based wow. in Denver. So any club you went to was just incredible DJs, mm -hmm. incredible people playing music. And so I had just moved back from Den to, to Denver from getting out of a really broken relationship with a girlfriend. Uh, I couldn't find a job anywhere. I had secured a little bartending job, but the club wasn't even rebuilt yet. So I was like out of work, just trying to figure out what the hell I was going to do with my life. Um, my heart was broken and I was staying at my friend's house. I was staying at my friend Devin's house and we were going to try and start a little entrepreneur t-shirt company. And, and I'm an entrepreneur at heart and total hustler, just like you. And we were trying to think of ideas to put on t-shirts, like funny t-shirts at the time was what we wanted to do. And we had a little candle that we would light to make sure that we could come up with these ideas similar to what we do, right? You know, mm -hmm. we take these breaths and did this. Well, we'd light this candle as kind of our little ritual. And um, then we would smoke a ton of weed. Which was, of the course. Other, which was the other ritual. So <laughs> Important we ritual. would light this candle, smoke some weed, and try and come up with these ideas. Well, when you when you smoke weed, you get really hungry. So we got hungry. And we left this candle um, in my room downstairs in the basement. And uh -oh. so I remember we were at this bar, and we were getting food. And Devin left early, whose house I was staying at. And I get a phone call from him. Like 10 minutes later, he's like, what did you do? Why is there three fire engines at my house? There's a couch through my window. I don't know what to do. And I remember if you just, if you've ever sat there and something hits you so hard, like a train, you're just like, oh, and you remember exactly what happened. And I remember talking to him on my little flip phone and my little Motorola. And I remember being like, I think we left that candle burning downstairs in my room. And then it was like, what did you do? You just ruined our lives. And, da, da, da. and it was like, at that moment, I knew I had to figure out something. So mm -hmm. it was like, 
shut the phone. My life has really hit rock bottom. Mm -hmm. And I got back to the house and it was all a huge blur, but I knew I really, really, really needed to figure out how to get some work immediately because now we had no place to live. I didn't know what we were going to do next. The only thing that made it out were a box of journals that was like tucked away. Wow. One of my guitars. So the whole place pretty much burned. Oh, the whole thing was burnt out. And he had over a thousand records downstairs, all just gutted. So it was very low point for myself and Devin and, and those around me. And I just remember seeing my stuff in a pile of smoking rubble, just sifting through the ashes of what I, you know, kind of was my fault, kind of was both of ours, but whatever. It was just something that happened. It happened. It was pinned. It was pinned on the room in the basement. And I just remember just thinking like, what? It doesn't get any worse than this, but I can find work. I can do this. And then... Fast forward, snap, my friend Patrick called me and he goes, yo, I can't work my shift in the bathroom at Alley Cats, but you can have that shift if you want, bro. So I'm like, out of the bathroom? Oh my God. So if you can imagine, right? I shuffle my last shitty pair of pants that aren't burnt. I, I'm like in crappy clothes and now I'm in this nightclub. It's like two days later, I'm in this nightclub working in the bathroom. I had to save up some money to and buy. You just basically like greet people and like offer them paper Mints towels, and right? Paper towels. You make sure that they look good. Da, da, da. So anyway, I'm in this bathroom at Alley Cats, feeling pretty, pretty dejected. You know, I'm just like looking under the stalls at people's feet as they <laughs> take dumps at the nightclub. Who does that? But a lot of people apparently, and it's probably the drugs. Yeah. Anyway, so they're they're there doing their thing. I'm just smelling this bathroom, and I'm like, oh god, this is so awful. But the only thing that's pulling me through is if I step outside the bathroom and I just look around the corner, I can see the DJs. And the DJs are just having the time of their life. I'm like, damn, this is crazy. I got to get from here to there. And and so I remember watching. I was like, how do I do this? And I started to notice, this is something that I've really started to understand, that a lot of the best things that I like to do come with what I'd call rituals and gifts. Mm. So there's like this ritual where you and I go and dive deep into a conversation and the gift is that you spend time with me and now all of a sudden we have this beautiful podcast and this beautiful story. Well, DJs and nightclubs have rituals and gifts too. And that's to do shots and to get a bunch of girls in the de- in the in the DJ, DJ booth. booth and have a good time and just like share that time. So I was like oh, I know how I can get there. So I started saving my tip money and I'd buy them shots and I would take that to them and I'd invite girls up to us. And what I would do is I would stand and sit and perch over them while they were DJing. And they, you know, they loved it. They're like, oh yeah. And so I would ask them what I, what they're doing. How, how do you do this? Because I knew that I could do it. Mm-hmm. And you were musically inclined Prior yeah, to this, like prior you, you to played this, yeah. in a band, right? Growing yeah, up, yeah, I played in a, a ska band in Fort Collins, and I'd even played guitar with some DJs. Gotcha. Up to that point, so you had that musical inclination, though. Oh in yeah, you. and my dad taught me how to play guitar, so music was in me. So it wasn't coming cold from that. Just uh-huh. that to put that in, in reference to is I had music in me, mm-hmm. and so I'd been a performer. And so watching these DJs, you know, they they were good, they're fun, but they weren't performers. And so I was like, oh, that's cool. I like this. So about a month goes by and, and you know, I've saved probably $30 because I've been spending all the money on buying them shots, shots <laughs> and getting up there. And so it was a Friday night and one of the DJs I could hear from the bathroom was just train wrecking. It's like 1130 and then I just hear this just awful mixing and you can just tell that there's somebody that's completely inebriated in the in the booth Mm. so i step outside and i see this happening right and people are kind of leaving the dance floor or whatever so i just take it upon myself and then i see him disappear because he's just like sitting down behind the back that can barely stand up so i take it upon myself and i jump up there and I remember there was a remix of Rihanna's Ponda Replay. That's how long ago this was. Mm-hmm. And it had just turned over. So vinyl was moving out and you could have electric, you could have all your music on a USB stick and put it in a computer and do these things. Mm-hmm. So I always had a little USB stick with me, like the one I gave you. And I'm like, boom, I throw this thing in there and, and I throw it in his computer and I just kind of load one of them up into to, uh, his his platform and I just start playing and I look over all of the tables kind of in front of me to the front left, like stage left of me or where the VIP section is. And I just see these guys just like 
freaking out. Like they're dancing, they're going crazy. And then the dance floor starts to fill up. And then I mix the next one and then mix the next one. And this place starts popping. I'm like, yes. And as an entertainer, I grab the mic and I'm just like, what's up? How are we doing tonight? Let's do this. And we just start getting after it. We just start doing it. And you know how I play. Uh-huh. So I'm just like kind of, and as an entertainer, I was engaging the crowd with the microphone. I was like moving people around the room. I was like, put your hands up. You do your thing. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. And so like 20 minutes of this and this, this place is pumping. And that's when I had my first taste. I was like, oh shit. That aha moment. That's, this is what's up. And then our DJ pops back up. He's like, oh, my God. And, like, he just, you know, he's like, y'all good. You got to go with this, man. So I run back to the bathroom. And I just remember sitting in there, just looking in the mirror. I was like, dude, that was amazing. That felt real good. And a couple of the guys came in um, from that VIP bottle service area. And they're like, what the hell is that? What, dude, you're in the bathroom? Why aren't you up there DJing, man? You're crushing that. There's no way you should be in here. And I just remember being, you know, feeling pretty good. And and I still didn't know how to make the connection. I was like, oh, yeah, I guess I could try and get a slot up there and do something. And uh, they go, dude, just come talk to us at the end of this night, man. You should, you, you got to meet our friend Kevin Larson and, and kind of get connected with him. He throws big parties. And so that turned into me meeting this guy named Kevin Larson. Mm-hmm. And Kevin Larson threw some of the biggest parties in Denver at the time. He had these white rose galas. He had these eyes wide shut style parties. Like he was the kingpin mm-hmm. in Denver at the time. He threw the biggest parties. And so another ritual that he loved to do was play tennis. And I love tennis. I'm a really avid tennis player. And so we did, we we set a date. They introduced me to him. And he's like, hey, let's go play some tennis. And I remember... Uh, meeting with him and it was kind of like this competition he's like hey if you win this tennis match then uh i'll pay you but if you lose then you play for free on new year's both was actually a win because (laughs) new year's party had like a couple thousand people at it wow so um we were always pretty neck and neck in tennis but i ended up taking him on this particular time and he ended up booking me for this new year's party and before i knew it as the MC DJ uh, for one of his biggest New Year's parties. And for official first paid gig? Uh, yeah, I think it was. his first or second uh-huh. one, right? Because I did a couple little things in the middle to just be like, what the fuck am I doing? Yeah. But here's what was great. And this is what I think all entertainers need to learn um, is that it's you've got to be able to use frequency of yourself to get the energy going. Mm. And so when I got to that, that party i remember i'd saved up some money to buy my first controller and it was like the size you know it's tiny it's like this little mm-hmm. and the controller just for anyone who doesn't know yeah that's a uh, how you play your music so you'll you'll play through a controller so that's hooked to your computer and then you play the music and then that goes to the audience right and so i bought this little new mark actually it's an audio mixer it's just this little thing and it was tiny and the i looked at there's two of us as djs that night and thank God. But the other DJ had, he had his MK, he had his turntables. Then he had two, uh, he had two, two CDJs. So his array, if you don't know what that is, it was like the size of a full <laughs> banquet table of just gear. Uh-huh. And then there was mine set up and I had to like spread things around it to make it look dope. And his little posse was with him watching him set up. And I remember like taking glances at me and they're like, what is that? Mm-hmm. And I was like, what's my controller? <laughs> it's and- like someone's got the Ferrari with the decked out rims and the lights yeah. and you got your Hyundai just sitting there. <laughs> yeah. I've got my Yaris or something sitting there for sure. And I go, yeah. And they go, how are you going to send it like that? And I, and what I like to do is sing and, and use the microphone to really engage the audience. I was like, it doesn't matter. I remember being really being really braggadocious about this but i kind of had to because i had to well they were kind of like giving you a little ego check yeah. it sounds like and i remember i was looking at myself looking at his i go well yeah but does he do this and i hit this track that i always sing on top of and i was like whoa and they were like oh shit modest doesn't do that and i was like so that's what we do and mm. so i remember that was like the big aha when I when I realized like it's not the gear, it's not the music, it's not all this. It's you. Mm-hmm. You're the one that provides the frequency. I don't care what you do. And I've tested this too. I've given a USB stick of the exact same music that I'll play. Yeah. To different DJs in other parts of the country, like when I'm playing, and I'll see that 
it doesn't do the same thing. Mm -mm. I'm like, well, that's interesting. And so I realized at that time, right early on the onset of playing, that that is how you separate yourself, Mm -hmm. is you put your your love and everything into it. So that's how I got started. (sighs) Crazy. Two things here first. We got to go back to that story, which... There's the famous quote, uh, luck is when opportunity meets preparation. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I love that story for so many reasons. One being you ke- you clearly had a passion for music. You wanted to learn. You, you know, you're showing up at your shifts. You're probably listening to music. You're kind of studying. And then all it takes is one slip up from someone else, one moment. And you see, you could have stayed. Like there was nothing that no one asked you to do, it, but you took the shot. And I love that analogy for life is like do the work and like take the chance, you know, Mm -hmm. and you totally created that opportunity for yourself, which I love. Yeah. And the second thing I love what you were sharing is, can you, you, what are the words you said? You are the frequency. Yeah. You are the frequency. And I think it's a perfect analogy. And I remind myself this too. It doesn't matter if you have the best gear, it doesn't matter, but like start where you are. And if you're passionate and care about something, you are the vehicle for your success. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think what anyone can take away from this is that that frequency that you do, whether you're working remotely and doing little Zoom calls or whether you're in front of a massive corporation or that you are at Starbucks or, you know, at at the Royal Seagull, whatever, mm-hmm. your frequency is so important and the, the tools and the rituals that you have to put yourself through to get into that highest frequency of yourself is going to carry you so much farther than you you'll ever imagine it can. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things that we like to study is, uh, Tony Robbins calls it the reticular activating system, or Mm -hmm. maybe everybody calls it that and (laughs) coined it. Uh, but my, my reticular activating system that, and if you're not familiar with that, the RAS, as they like to call it, is that dormant, unconscious part of your brain that is able to pick your name out when somebody says, Hey Jake, in a crowd of a thousand people, you'll hear that. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing. If you buy, let's say when I bought my Mazda, I remember driving around. I was like, I have never seen this many Mazdas before in my life. This is crazy. Mm -hmm. Well, your reticular activating system picks up on those things. And one of the things I conditioned myself for a long time ago was ultimate performance success. I was like, I will be a top-notch world-class performer and I will find the opportunities to do such and my beacon for finding those things was always there always on that so it's probably not surprising that I had noticed like oh this is how you get to that spot Mm -hmm. you know those are the people I need to meet these are these are the situations I need to be in and what your audience and what I love to lean into with folks when they listen to this story is that they can do this for themselves, Mm -hmm. right? This is the stuff that you should be doing is setting that vision for yourself, the best next version of yourself, the best next version of your living situation, your financial situation, what you're going through can all be set in motion by really getting that vision set. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? I love it. I mean, I've read a lot of Jack Canfield and John Asaraf who talk about the reticular activating system. And what's so powerful, like you said, your music or entertainment or performing is someone else's, for me, that's like, you know, podcasting and speaking and words and creation. Everyone has that thing. And like what you're saying is like, focus on it, like visualize it, like where do you see yourself being? You know, you can write it down too. I I used to be a big writing all the things down. Oh, I love writing, yeah. Uh But it's, it's cool because it's like, if you do that and you have the audacity to take the shot, you're going to go where you want to be. Like, mm-hmm. you're just going to get there. You're just going to get there. And it's never the way you think it's going to be. Mm. But you will get there. Yeah. And sometimes it's roundabout. Sometimes it's it's exactly the way you thought. Yeah. Which is, is much less often. Like today, I was when I went and grabbed coffee before I came over here, I just turned around and I looked at this little table that I had sat at when I took my first, uh, I took a, an Uber from downtown San Diego after traffic and conversion just to check out this area because everyone's like, you got to see Encinitas and Cardiff. And I remember taking this Uber up here and I just planted myself at that Starbucks to do some work. And and I just remember walking out and you, you know, when you get here, you smell this air and you're like, what is that? It's just the ocean is right here. You hear that train cruise through. You just see everybody's energy here. Mm-hmm. It's so different. It's hella different here. It's beautiful. 
Mm-hmm. People look you in the eye. They're like, hi, what's up? <laughs> yeah. I, I remember sitting there at, the, at that little table at that Starbucks and people are like, what are you working on? Oh, that's cool. I love your computer. Blah, blah. And I, I just knew I had to be here. And so my particular activating system started looking for, without me knowing, because it's all unconscious, it just started shifting. Like you will, you will be here. And if that is what your innate compass wants you to do, we'll set it in motion Mm -hmm. because everything's a cause set in motion. And as soon as I made the declaration, one of my favorite authors and speakers, Bo Eason, he talks about making declarations. Once you make the declaration, you can't be stopped. And so I made that declaration. I go, and I remember telling myself, I wrote it down in my journal. This is the same thing I did on some of my biggest music milestones. I write it down for three or four pages. Sometimes it's 50 or a hundred and I see it and I say it and I feel it. I see it, I say it, I feel it. I see it, I say it, I feel it. I see it, I say it, I feel it. And then all of a sudden it takes over this part of your body, this part of your unconscious body. And so what I did is I put that in there and I think it must've been a year and a half later I packed up my stuff in Colorado. I knew that I had hit my tether. I knew I was going to be surfing. And yes. I put it all in a, a little a little uh, U-Haul and brought it out with a couple of friends and got to land with this beautiful family in California. And it was crazy. It was all not how I pictured it, but it all worked out beautifully. Mm-hmm. And now I'm here talking to you. I think you make a really good point in how it happens. It's like so important to have that declaration and you said, say it, write it, feel it, say it, write it, feel yeah. it. I love that. And I'm a big, uh, I read a lot of Joe Dispenza, follow his work and he's big on the feeling part. Um, but it happens in a way we're not expecting, which I think is important. I always try to remind myself because sometimes the universe is taking us a little bit off course, but that is the course. So it's like being open to the different ways through which you can get your, it's for me, it's just a reminder to be open, mm-hmm. period. Yeah. Be open to what, is in front of me because you don't know where that's leading. Right. Yeah. And be attached to a beautiful outcome with a deadline to it. Yes. Right. So there was a deadline. I said I would be out in California by a certain time. Mm-hmm. And so it worked and it was terrifying for me. And the other things that happened is the lease was up on the house that I was at in Colorado and then everything was just done. And I knew I was, I knew I was at the end of my tenure, and I didn't know where I was actually going to be like fully staying. I had an idea. Yeah. And then I ended up staying with an incredible family, the Krummenacher family, the CEO of JJ Virgin's company. Oh, is Carl. Carl. No yeah. way. And okay. Carl took me in under his wing just to be like, hey, here's, we got an extra beautiful guest suite. Why don't you just land here for a little bit while you figure out what you're doing? And that ended up being about a year of incredible partnerships with Carl. And yeah, he's and- very well connected. Well, and not even so connected as much as he is genius. Like sitting at the kitchen table with him, mm-hmm. we call it the kitchen table university. <laughs> it was insane. I learned more from him in nine months than I had probably learned in like five years of just like sporadic marketing conferences. Wow. You know, and it was just beautiful for us to build that. And then the next thing I put in my reticular activating system was like, oh, I'd love to be closer to the beach. And we we're 15 minutes from the beach, not that far. But I put it out in my field. So they, they call it the field yep. and I landed a beautiful spot in Cardiff, two minutes from the beach. Yeah, you have an ocean view. And an ocean view uh, and five minutes from you, yep. you know, we've got this thing and, and the whole thing, I built this beautiful life book is what I did. I went did a practice called life book where it maps out 12 categories of your life and then you go four categories deep into each one of them, your meaning, your, your vision around it, how you're going to, how you're going to execute it and what that feels like. Mm. Uh, and so... I put all those things into practice. I started doing the things I was saying I was going to do. And as you build all these tools inside you, it becomes much more easy to manifest those things Mm -hmm. because you've got practices, you've got a feeling and you've got a vision. And once you have practice, a fit, a vision and a feeling, it just becomes this whole thing. It's like to see it or you say it, you see it, you feel it. Mm -hmm. Same with that practice it you got these visions and a feeling it's all those things but they center around the feeling Mm -hmm. and so before i had any of this i remember just meditating which has always been a huge practice for me the meditation around oh gosh Mm -hmm. how's it gonna feel when i can just walk outside up up the stairs out of my studio Mm -hmm. and see the ocean right 
and and I have like that beautiful girl with me that's just like been there singing and we're doing that, you know, building this beautiful vision. And I, I, I just chuckle. I look at these vision boards and things that I've made and almost everything on those boards has come true. Mm-hmm. Not in the way that I thought it would, but it has fully come true. Yeah. And so it's it's so weird to discount those. Do you make vision boards? I, dude, so many. So I, many I mean, right? I resonate so much with what you're saying. Like even to live in this house for four years, I wrote, I'm so happy and grateful that I'm living with conscious, like-minded friends on the beach. I like that sentence hundreds and but more importantly to what you're saying i felt it dude yeah i felt it yeah it's the feeling and if it's it's weird because that feeling is the it's the thread Mm -hmm. that pulls you through and i think even my mom's insane devout beautiful feeling and faith and faith was almost a feeling that was able to pull into her existence her three children so I I can't wait for more studies to come out on the frequency of feeling, mm-hmm. which might be a really cool topic for you. But yes. the frequency of feeling is such a powerful movement. Mm-hmm. And if there's if there's a better time on the planet now than to tap in on how to raise your frequency uh, through feeling, then it is now. Mm-hmm. With it's clubhouse, like with all these things, with yeah. all those things, it's totally needed. But one of the things that I was allowed to do and that you're allowed to do too and those that have been around you, they get it. But it's through music. And music is the frequency the accelerator, right? So once you have good frequency and you can tap into the way to find the enhancement of that frequency through music, it's pretty astounding what you can do. Mm-hmm. And that's why I love music so much. And I think that's why uh, one of the hashtags that I like to use with all of my my social is more than music. It's more than music. And it's just the frequency. And I think the next hashtag is now going to be the frequency of feeling. The right? frequency of feeling. I like that. So it's been it's been what's carried me through where where I've been and what I'm Amazing. up to now. I love that. And uh, something you said got me thinking. I sat with ayahuasca for the first time in October. And it's interesting, like, looking back um, – to seeing my journey and how I've gotten more into music and sound. I went through a period in my entrepreneurial journey where it was almost like I was too far into the head. Mm. Um, like I would never listen to music. I had to be listening to a podcast or listening to an audiobook. This was when I was writing my book and like getting into speaking. I was kind of like obsessively into personal development. And then- As we all are. <laughs> yeah, as we, and, you know, it's seasons, of course. And I love that season, don't regret it at all. Um, but there was a shift around 21 where I, I went to a music festival and may or may not have been on some altered substances. <laughs> and I, I remember perceiving sound different and I started getting really into electronic music. And then in this recent ayahuasca ceremony, the state through which ayahuasca brought me to, we had we were blessed enough to have an amazing musician. And I could understand how the octane, the frequency of sound coming from her voice, from her instruments, was evoking an emotion in my body. It's what we all know, right? We feel music. But I was in such a heightened state that, you know, plant medicine could bring you to where I could feel the power of music. And that's another reason why I, I look up to people like you and, and people who it's not just it's more than music. It's, it's more than music. Like sound is life. Sound yeah. dictates life. And yeah. I was reading, um, you know, Deepak Chopra's book, and one of the most ancient healings in Ayurvedic medicine is primordial sound. It's sound, like Om, you know, Om, Om, the the sound of creation. So it's so interesting to go into the science and understand like what you're doing here as as, and you're not just providing the music. You're you're setting the entire container for people to feel the whole spectrum of emotion. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And there's so many layers to the new sound healing too, right? You use so many different modalities to heal yourself. Mm -hmm. We DJ, but there's a million times, not a million times, but thousands and thousands of times when I've turned to sound healing baths with the bowls, Mm. with the with the rain sticks, with the drums, with the chanting, with the ohms, with the people making the sound. Like it's not just electronic dance music, albeit mm-hmm. there's some beautiful things, but what makes that, what makes the texture of that music is is humans putting that cool analog sound into an electronic delivery mechanism. Mm. But if if there's anything that anyone should do, like coming out of this podcast, the 
biggest thing I would suggest anyone do is pick up an instrument. Find a way to make music in your life. Mm -hmm. And you will vastly improve your cognitive function, your mental state, your, your ability to you know, suppress anxiety. Music is, for me, it's the full answer. And it's, it's more than music. But it is the tip of the spear for so many people. Uh, we've we've worked with autistic students before. I was a student teacher at a high school for a, about a year no and a way. half. And some of the autistic kids, I would just bring a guitar in. And I remember Kosan, who couldn't speak, but he could remember stats like Rain Man. He oh, was wow. an autistic savant like that. But I remember when I showed him this guitar and he just sat and he would just pluck the A string. And you can just see the frequency change him. Wow. And he was, you know, he just put his little head down and be like, boom, boom. And he would do that for hours. But I was like, <laughs> that's amazing. And it was just incredible that the universe and God have given us this ability to create sound mm -hmm. and create music. And people forget about that. And it can be brought on just like Samantha uh, Skelly was talking about with breath work. Music is created through breath. Music is created through that divine peace in us. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's just it's just a part that people overlook. And especially with Clubhouse, especially with Instagram stories, especially with all this stuff, people disregard how powerful music, just music is. Mm -hmm. And that's my job as a facilitator for these conferences, as a facilitator for creating podcasts is to bring life back to the learning experience by soundtracking things. Mm -hmm. Soundtracking is one of my favorite things to do. And it's just like, it's the next level of how I can give back. Yeah. And that's what I'm working right now. So even with the kids in the orphanage, even with the, the podcast clients that I have, and even with the, the corporate events that I perform for, my sole job is to raise the frequency and to raise the frequency, one, with music, and then two, with my ability to connect and bring their energy and their happiness up. And there's just different ways when you unlock the, the combination to do that at the right time with just music or to do that by just giving energy. It's interesting. And when I say giving energy, I know that at majority of the conferences that I perform at just by walking in, I can see everybody be like, Oh, thank God he's here. I love this guy. <laughs> uh, we have so much fun. And that there's that. And then there's a combination of all three where you have to use the energy of music to bring down and to like seed big visions and big ideas. I remember mm. when I was on Necker Island for the very first time, they put me in charge of some of the music while they were having their little masterminds. And the mastermind was happening in the hot tub at this time. Classic and Richard Branson. Classic Richard Branson. <laughs> and I remember just seeing these guys sit around and they were really talking about, oh, we're going to go to space. We're going to be an inter intergalactic species. Here's what we need to do. Um, this is what our company's doing. Here's what Virgin Galactic's doing. Uh, that's and that. And I remember hearing like these little conversations between Yannick and and Richard and Sophia, who runs the Mavericks with Yannick, and Michael Brubeck, and all these people. And uh, Jeff Walker was there. And I mean, laying that music for them. I remember seeing that it was raising their vibe, like what they were talking about. They're like, they would just sit and they'd talk and then they'd smile and they'd be like, oh God, I love this song. And then they would just mm. like groove in there. And I, was, I just remember that space, that time in, in my life where I could see again as the globe popped out, like this is what you do. This is what you're meant to do. Wow. You lay the fabric and the blanket around those people through music to help them really embed connection mm -hmm. through experience by raising the frequency with music. I love that. And from like an actual event standpoint, I mean, like you've had the privilege of DJing Mind Valley events with A-Fest. Yeah. I saw on your website, like you've had work with Google, Nike, Richard Branson's house. Is there an event that stands out to you where maybe it was a reminder of this is why you do what you do or here's your mission with music or just something about the event that made you 
that just like stuck with oh, you. Oh yeah. You mentioned it right there. It was Mind Valley's A Fest. Uh-huh. The first awesomeness fest I did where I actually met Yannick Silver and met these world changers. Awesomeness Fest was what it was called before it was Mind Valley's A Fest. And give maybe a brief uh, primer on what that is for anyone who doesn't know. Yeah, absolutely. A Fest would be if Coachella and TEDx had a baby. <laughs> That's the best explanation <laughs> I've ever heard of that. Right? You got super empowering speakers during the day, world changing speakers set in a remote, beautiful location with incredible events during the day and times to connect. And then at night, you have this insanely beautiful out of this world party. For example, we were in Costa Rica and one of the event planners who is my one of my favorite humans and one of the most prolific event planners named Tanya Lopez, she figured out how to make a gigantic, we're talking two-story sloth out of foliage from the ground, from the floor of the forest with this team. And so I performed underneath this gigantic <laughs> sloth and then his arm was held out to the to the right was a trapeze artist and like a, a silk dancer while you're performing while I'm performing and then on the other side of the stage was one of the the largest dream catchers that has ever been made. Wow. And then right in front of me in the stage were these glow drumming drummers that were all covered in paint. And then the rest, like, then they started painting all the women and all the men. So we were, like, half naked running around through the jungle playing music. Sounds like my type of scene. (laughs) It was a scene. And it happens every year. That's what they do. But if you think about it, the frequency, the music, and the connection is so insane. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And how that all feeds into each other. But, yeah, that's the kind of thing that they did at A-Fest. And that has happened for me now for 10 years that I've been playing that festival. And I think we're going to finally get to do it again after all this pandemic stuff in Jordan of this year. Wow. Yeah. And I also have another really amazing event coming up in February. It's the first live one. It's not not going to be as big as like a festival, but we're doing a virtual summit mm-hmm. live too wow. in New Orleans with Mark Wade. And that's going to be really exciting because it's the first time we can all be together and I like to do this. I did this with Mindshare too, which is JJ Virgin's company, mm-hmm. where we we take part of the live act and we put it virtual. And they did it with Traffic and Conversion, and we'll be doing that again too in the fall. But it's just incredible to see the melding of all these events, virtual and live, because we know we had to go virtual. That was the only way my company actually thrived over 2020 was to go inward and go virtual. Mm-hmm. So we took that experience and went virtual with it. But this is to that testament of frequency raises the vibe. Everyone said it couldn't be done. Oh man, you can't just raise the vibe on Zoom. Everyone's burnt out. Mm -hmm. But it's not true. I I watched it happen. I watched people get up out of their seats, get their family into the living room and all start dancing. And if that's not a testament that frequency can travel through the airwaves, through the digital space, then I don't know what it is. Watching people around the planet with their families dancing and jumping around from Bali to Florida to New York to Africa, all at the same time at one time, mm-hmm. was unparalleled to me as an experience. Mm. But AFES, going back to that, was the thing that really set me in motion. That was the first event that I was invited to that showed me a different way. It switched my paradigm. Yeah. Sure. Which is so cool because I I've actually never been to AFES, but I, you know, I follow Vision. He's he's incredible. And I resonate with that community because they're some of the world's biggest doers and thinkers yeah. and purpose driven people. And they like to have fun, they you know, like I'm fun. like, I'm not trying to just party all the time, but I'm not trying to just, um, you know, have a head, my head down to work all the time. I think there's a, a fusion and it's, you know, expressing different sides of yourself, which is why I think the niche and like how you've established yourself, like the way I see it, you are like the performer for the big entrepreneurs, you know, like just your track record and the connections you had and the energy you bring, which is just so cool because I would have never like you have opened my eyes to what's possible for me. Like, I don't know how my life's going to, you know, transform or what's in my path. But now I know, oh, wow, I can use certain gifts and interests and talents and passions that I have in this way. Like, you've kind of fused two different worlds. That's how I see it. You know, um, dance, electronic music, performance, and entrepreneurship. Yeah. Thank you for that sweet reminder. And I'll also say this too, Jake, that I didn't get into my groove until I was in my early 30s. Mm Mm-hmm. So for the folks that are like, oh my God, I just turned 30, what am I going to do with my life? 
I think now too, and with the advent of everything that Stephen Kotler's doing and Dave Asprey and Ben Greenfield, um, and all of the new technology that's coming out on human longevity and the flow genome projects and the stuff that's happening on the planet to extend the quality uh, and the length of our life. I think 40 is the new 30 yeah. without a doubt. And, and if you're 50, 50 is the new 30. 50 is the new 30 or 40. 50 is the new 40. Who knows? <laughs> but everyone's like, I don't know. It, it's so funny. You, there's two sides of the field when people ask like, hey, should, do you want to live to be 120? And I was like, if I can still be playing music when I'm 120 and enjoying it, are you kidding? Mm -hmm. I would love it. And if my quality of life is good, maybe you're wheeling me up to a, a turntable. I don't give a shit. It is going to be amazing. Oh, I love and, that. You know, there's there's so many funny memes out there with grandma's DJ and an older CEO's DJing, but they get it. Mm -hmm. They get it. One of the things that I love doing and I get to do this sometimes four or five times a year is there'll be somebody that's making a big exit out of their company and they'll call me and they'll have me come down for a weekend and I'll show them how to DJ and I'll show them how to perform for their closest friends. And then if there's a festival or a club, I'll put them on those decks right in front of a couple thousand people just so they can get a taste of it. Mm -hmm. And it's a game changer for them. I can imagine. Yeah. Well, thrill. we're doing it with you. Don't yeah. you worry. You and I have many shows together coming up. So I'm I'm excited to learn from you, bro. Yeah. Um, Sammy, I could go on and on with you about <laughs> so many topics, but just for the sake of time, where can people find you? Where can they connect with you? I'd love to also to share about your uh, your nonprofit. Oh, sure. Yeah. So you can find me at shoeboxmoses.com. That's my name across all the platforms. So Sammy Shoebox Moses Taggets on Facebook. Uh, you can go to thefoundlings.org to check out more about what we're doing in the Philippines and what our next trip will be. So that's my big, beautiful mission that I'm doing there. So yeah, you can go to shoeboxmoses.com. It'll have all of the all of the resources for all of those things right there too. Amazing. We'll have that all linked up in the show notes. And anyone who's on Instagram, Follow Sammy. I'm telling you, you're like one of my favorite people because all of your little posts and clips like just make my day. The The frequency is being passed. Well, I'll do more feeling. of that. Thank you, yeah. Jake. I well, love you, bro. Love you too, man. And just want to acknowledge you because something that I've been thinking a lot about lately is this art of staying in your lane, right? Like I think in the social media world we live in, it's easy to look at other people and sometimes have jealousy wishing, oh, I wish I had this skill or that skill. And you're one of the people I admire because you have used your own gifts, talents, and passions, and you've paved your own path. And that's been something that like genuinely just inspires me. So I just want to share that with you. Thank you, bro, for coming on today. What an yeah. honor. And here's to making music, finding our frequency, and sharing it with the world. And surfing. And surfing. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you guys enjoyed that episode and conversation with Sammy. He truly is a light in this world. So make sure to go check him out on Instagram. Check out what he's up to with the foundlings. Everything we talked about is linked in the show notes so you can get connected with him. And lastly, if you guys are enjoying the show, if you're digging what I'm putting down, it would mean so much to me if you took 30 seconds and left a quick review on iTunes. This way more people can find the show. Again, thank you so, so much for listening and I'll see you next week.